My name is Ed. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. And uh, welcome to uh, Labor Day weekend at uh, Gateway, and happy Labor Day, everyone. Reaching the end of a job interview a few years ago, a young engineering student from MIT uh, applying for a job, the HR officer said, so what starting salary would you like? And the engineer replied, well, I would think something in the region of $200,000 a year, depending on the benefits package. And the HR officer said, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks of vacation, 14 days paid holiday, full medical and dental, company retirement matching to 50% of your salary, and a car leased every year, say a red Corvette. And the young engineer student said, wow, are you kidding? And the HR officer said, yes, but you started it. So let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thanks so much for drawing us together. Lord, I pray that you would honor our work. You have called us to it. It's part of, it, it's part of who we are by design. And I pray, Jesus, to, that today we would get a new vision for that and uh, for what that means. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, boys and girls, thank you so much for being with us this morning. I'm going to ask you to help me in just a minute with these. They're in your bags, but hold on. Pinocchio. Pinocchio is the uh, 2008 real-life adaptation of the classic story of Geppetto and his puppet. Some of you know this story, Geppetto was an Italian woodcarver who created a, a boy puppet named Pinocchio. And when a fairy magically gave the puppet life, Geppetto was obviously startled. The first conversation between the woodcarver and Pinocchio led to a very difficult question. Geppetto looked at Pinocchio and asked, Who are you? Well, you should know, Pinocchio replied. You gave me my name. Put, put, put. Geppetto struggled to say the boy's name, still shocked at what had happened. Nokio, the little boy shouted, helping the old woodcarver out. The puppet? Geppetto asked. No, 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 this, this can't be. Well, how about that? You're the one who made me, cried Pinocchio, and you don't even recognize me. Geppetto struggled. You're you're real? Yes, I am. I'm a real boy. Well, my heart is still made of wood, but when I hear it be properly, then I'll be real. That's what the fairy said. The fairy, Geppetto asked. You mean there's a fairy here too? Pinocchio nodded furiously. A wooden puppet comes to life and now there's a fairy. The old woodcarver was overwhelmed. He, he felt Pinocchio's arms and face to see if he was indeed a real live boy and soon tears welled up in his eyes. You're alive! Do you understand? You're alive! Then Geppetto turned to look at a portrait of his late wife that hung on the wall. If only you were here, you could see him too. He's alive! Pinocchio happily repeated Geppetto's verdict. I'm alive! Then a pensive look came over the face of the puppet-turned-boy. What do you mean, I'm alive? What does it mean? Well, unless I'm going mad, and this isn't just a dream, it means you have a life to live, said Geppetto. 
And then Pinocchio asked a very difficult question. And what do I have a life for? Geppetto struggled to answer this question and eventually said, I'll have to think about it. Today we're going to look at a section from one of the Apostle Paul's letters where we find somewhat surprisingly that at least a part of the answer to Pinocchio's question is that we have a life so that we can work. We're going to read 2 Thessalonians. It's a little book in the New Testament. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we recommend you, we commend you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from, to keep away from, to shun every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow the example, to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. You may be seated. All right, boys and girls, again, I need your help. Several times through this, I'm going to want you to emphasize something for the adults around you. So I want you to take this pad, if you would, and really quickly draw a picture related to something you want to be when you grow up. If you're a boy or a girl in here and you have this pad with you, I want you to draw a picture of something that's, that's related to what you want to be when you grow up. What do you want to be when you grow up? What would you like to do when you grow up? Draw a picture that's related to that. Paul is pretty insistent in this passage, isn't he? And he's pretty clear. We will organize Paul's thoughts into two critical ideas about work. Number one thought, it is essential that all of us contribute, that all of us work. It's essential. It's not just important to us, but it's a fundamental part of who we are and what we are to do as Christ followers. First of all, it's a fairness issue. We are all parts, so we should do our part. The one who doesn't work doesn't eat. Did you hear that? We talk a lot about community here at Gateway. The need for community is a critical part of our makeup. That's why we emphasize small groups so much. Well, it's interesting that Paul makes work a community issue. We're all part of something, so we must do our part. But more than a fairness issue, this passage talks about how work is related to our spiritual lives. Work is a part of our God-given responsibility. It's a part of our God-given design. The one who is idle, he said, does not live according to the right teaching. If you drew one of those pictures, boys and girls, I want you to show it to your mom or dad or to an adult around you. 
See if they can guess what it is. Because it's really important, boys and girls of all ages, that we, that we think about this, that we think about what we're doing, how we're working. For you too, boys and girls. And now after you've done that, I want you to erase it because you've got some more assignments. Now we need, we need to be honest about our work. Genesis 2, some of you know this story. It tells the story of the creation of human beings. God created Adam. He put him in the Garden of Eden. And Genesis 2 verse 15 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it from the very beginning. All right, next assignment. Boys and girls, I want you to write the word work, and I want you to draw a smiley face beside it. Because even from the very beginning, God made work for our, for our pleasure and for our purpose. And then one day, when Adam and Eve weren't working, they got into trouble. Now, I'm not saying they got into trouble because they weren't working. I'm just saying. They did the one thing, the only thing that God told them not to do. They ate of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And after that, listen to what God said about their work. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Because of their, because of their sin, because of their disobedience to God, work became something full of difficulty and inefficiency. All right, boys and girls, I want you to erase your, your happy face with work, and I want you to write work and draw a frowny sad face with sweat coming off the frowny sad face. Still, in spite of the difficulty, work is essential for us. In fact, work is such an important issue for Christ followers that Paul commanded the Thessalonians, remember this, to shun people who were not accepting their responsibility to work. Keep away from them, he said in verse 6. In my experience, being part of churches over the years and in my experience leading a church, I think we together, church people, we spend too little time affirming one another for our work. Now, Northern Virginians are a little different. We certainly have a tendency to overwork. We, we sometimes allow the work-life balance to tilt too heavily in the work direction. I'm actually going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. But work is a good thing. Earning a living and contributing to society are good things. Having money so that you can invest in other people and in God's causes are good things. This is what God designed us to do. Several years ago, don't miss this. Several years ago, I had a chance to spend time with a church consultant named Doug Murin. And Doug made a fascinating point related to this work thing. Doug said that he believed 20% of the people involved in church should do most of the work in the church. He believed about 10%, an additional 10% of people at church are too unhealthy to carry much of a load or they've got too much on their plate. 10% are too new to the church. The remaining 60%, he believed, are people who will and should spend most of their time and energy in the marketplace. And here was the very interesting point. He claimed that this 60% 
were usually made to feel guilty because they didn't do more work for the church. When, in fact, he believed that it was the church's responsibility to do more to encourage them to do what they were already doing, only better. If we listen to Paul's teaching here, and we certainly should because it comes from God, then Doug Mirren has a point. I don't know that his percentages are right. They weren't based on anything but his experience. But I do believe that there may be a percentage of you that I owe some kind of an apology. If you've been made to feel guilty about your work and how little you do for Gateway, then I apologize. You should be affirmed for your work, and and we should learn how to equip one another to work even better, to be more productive, more efficient, to have even more integrity toward our jobs, and frankly, to make more money. Your work is a part of how you invest in our fellowship. It's how you contribute. And your work is a significant part of your God-given design. So I'm going to ask all of you for just one minute. I know this is a tough one, boys and girls, but let's be still for a moment. And right now, in the middle of our conversation, I'm going to say a word of prayer and blessing over your work. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, I pray for your blessing over those in our congregation who are working now. And Lord, I want to include those full-time moms who work at home. God, I pray that you will breathe new life into, into our jobs, into our vision for our jobs. Lord, breathe a new sense of a newfound integrity, a new calling. God, I pray for um, increased opportunities at work, for advancement, for helping others, for helping those younger than us, for mentoring. And Lord, I, I honestly, I just pray for the discipline to work hard and work well. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, these Thessalonians, they come from an ancient city called Thessalonica, and they are a particularly fascinating case. Why was idleness such an issue for this fellowship? Why does Paul hammer this so hard here? Why weren't they working? Well, we don't know for sure, but most scholars believe that a group of these early Christians from Thessalonica were being idle because they had, listen to this fancy term, they had an overrealized eschatology. The word eschatology is a really fancy term for thinking about and and studying the the very end of time when God is going to wrap up history all at one moment. And and, uh, they they had the sense that the, the eschatology, the eschaton, the end maybe had already come or was just about to come and For them, work didn't matter anymore. In fact, if we go just a little bit earlier in this same book, this isn't on the screen, but listen to this. This is from the same letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning he's coming again, and about our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. They had this weird, over-realized eschatology. What especially interests me about this is that God is telling us here that it's possible for our reflections about God himself 
or the way we live out our spiritual lives to actually get in the way of our productivity. We can allow our theology, what we think about God, if it gets off track or if we emphasize the wrong things or think in the wrong way, our theology can become an excuse to be lazy. It can enable us to be a burden to others. I've known people over the years who've literally filled up their schedules with Bible studies or church activities so much so that they were unable to be productive in other areas of their lives. My grandmother would say they've become so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. In fact, legitimate criticism has been leveled against the idea of paid professional ministers at all based on this teaching. Now I should add, that Jesus makes an allowance for ministers being paid for their labor in Luke chapter 10, and I hope Gateway will not change its model and begin requiring all of its staff to earn a living in the marketplace. I'll be in trouble. I have no skill. But at the very least, you should expect people who work on staff at Gateway to work hard and productively. And, and together, we should be careful about deciding to pay for what can be done by those who are earning a living in the marketplace. I say all of this to underscore the idea that it is essential that all of us contribute, that all of us work if we're able. Let me make one side point. Because our work is really important, because it's essential to the life of community, because it's an essential part of how God designed us, it would be beneficial for us to invest in finding work that's meaningful for us, or at least to find work that we don't hate. According to Gallup's State of the American Workplace Survey from 2015, so this is now eight years ago, American workers are growing more and more disengaged from their work. Here's what the survey found. Look at this. Of the approximately 100 million people in America who hold full-time jobs, 30% are engaged and inspired at work. 30%. 50% are disengaged or what Gallup described as, quote, kind of present, but not inspired at all by their work or their managers. 20% are actively disengaged. Separate question, only 22% of U.S. employees consider themselves engaged and thriving. After this survey, Gallup estimated that actively disengaged employees cost our economy somewhere between 450 to $550 billion a year. And listen, I offered this survey because I couldn't find a, a comprehensive one that's more current. But I found a bunch of smaller ones, and the post-COVID numbers are worse by a, sh a long shot. Not surprisingly, disengaged employees are more likely to steal from their companies, negatively influence their coworkers, miss work days, and drive customers away. These are not the kind of workers that we should be as the body of Christ. If you are disengaged and dissatisfied at work, that's beyond the scope of this talk, but we should acknowledge that that's a big deal because your work is essential. It's not unimportant if you hate your job or if you feel actively disengaged. This is a spiritual matter. Not only is our work essential, but Paul has another critically important message to make in this passage. Second point, our work facilitates our ministry. Our work facilitates our ministry. 
Paul mentions two ways. We'll unpack this. He mentions two ways that that's the case, that our work facilitates our ministry. Number one, his work allowed him not to be a burden to anyone. Number two, his work allowed him to be a model for them. We'll unpack that. But in other words, his work facilitated his ministry. His work, his side gig, it, it became part of his ministry. So let's break that down. Paul's work and ours facilitates our ministry, first of all, because it allows us to positively contribute. We are not a burden to anyone. Look at this. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Imagine how these Thessalonians might have felt about Paul and his teaching if he'd constantly been asking for handouts. Paul worked so as not to be a burden to anyone. He did not want anything to be an impediment to the Thessalonians hearing the message of the love of God as it is expressed in Jesus Christ. And the same is true for you. Through your work, you make a contribution to society at large and to our fellowship so that you are not a burden. This allows you to communicate God's love to others in a way that is unencumbered, that doesn't get blocked. Think if a coworker, that someone that you work with, is constantly asking for lunch. I didn't bring my lunch today. Can I have some of yours? We're going out to lunch. I don't have my wallet. Could you pay for me today? Would you mind? Eventually, you'll be less likely to listen to her ideas. You'll be far less likely to listen to her ideas about life. Secondly, Paul's work facilitated his ministry because it enabled him to be a model for the Thessalonians. Look at verse 9. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not like the Apostle Paul. I'm, I'm not some missionary in some foreign country. I'm just a project manager. But that's where you're wrong. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. You are a missionary to a culture that is self-satisfied and sick with the cancer of self-reliance and materialism. Many of your co-workers believe that they will be content and fulfilled if they can just achieve the right arrangement of comfortable circumstances. That's it. They'll be completely happy then, if only their circumstances would change a little bit here or a little bit there. This thought may not be always front and center, but it's just under the surface constantly, and it drives their decisions. And you are a missionary to a culture that really believes that, that really believes that insidious delusion. God has parachuted you into the middle of that culture and asked you to minister, and your work is your cover. It allows you to be a model for others. Final assignment, boys and girls, I want you to try to draw a parachute on your little tablet here, a parachute. And when you finish drawing a parachute, I want you to show it to your parents because God has parachuted you into foreign territory and you are perfectly equipped. You speak the language, you know the clues, and your work gives you credibility. It allows you to say, I'm just like you but I have this hope in me. I have this peace in me that doesn't depend on my circumstances. I'm just like you. I've got the same kind of bills as you do, the same kind of pressures, the same kind of distractions, but there's something that keeps me centered. There's something that keeps my head just above the worry line and that prevents me from giving up. Can I tell you what that something is? 
Your work gives you the opportunity to give that speech or something very nearly like it. You have been parachuted behind enemy lines in order to give that speech. And your work enables it. Your work facilitates your ministry. Boys and girls, if you, if you drew a parachute, show your parents the parachute and whisper to them, you've been parachuted behind enemy lines. The great reformer, Martin Luther, once was approached by a working man who, Martin Luther had, had reshaped the, the course of, of European history. And a working man once came to Martin Luther and asked him, how can, how can I... Uh, how can I serve God like you do, Dr. Luther? Luther asked him, what is your work? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther said, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Your work is essential. It's part of God's design, and your work facilitates your ministry. So, have you felt God's pleasure at work? How are you sensing God at work at your work? How are you creating opportunities at your work for those less fortunate or for people who are younger than you or for those who are emotionally hurting? Are you consistently thinking of your work as something that facilitates your ministry? Let me close this in prayer. And as I do, I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. Lord, I pray that um, we would do everything as if we are doing it for you. Because we are. We are doing it for you. I pray that um, even this week, Lord, I pray for a, a renewed sense of vision and excitement. Um, a renewed vigor about our work. We would see it as a part of your calling on our lives. We would see it as a part of our design, and we would see it as facilitating our ministry. Lord, I thank you so much for the resources that you release to us individually and as families. And here as a community, the tremendous resources that you have released to us. This is a wealthy area. God, you have blessed us immensely. And I thank you for the resources that you've released to us, and I pray that you would help us to use them well and wisely. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.